a shift of identity. Okay, so the, the title seems to bring up a few questions like what, what is the I identity and what's, what's the benefit of trying to shift it and, and into what would it shift? Um, so in, in some sense, it's a um, misleading title because our actual identity doesn't shift. It is what it is. It will always be that. It couldn't be other than that. Um, so in that sense, nothing actually shifts in reality. But what does shift is what we believe ourselves to be. And so that's um, the sort of the entry point to look at how we um, sort of identify ourselves and um, the implications of that. So a lot of us, if you just ask somebody casually that you met, you know, tell me about yourself, um, you know, we're all pretty good about describing ourselves in some way, you know, in terms of our, you know, profession, where we live, where we grew up, what we like to do, you know, whether we have kids or not, you know, sort of our history. Maybe if we get in a little deeper, we can talk about goals and hopes and dreams and, um, you know, past events and stories, etc. So we all know that way of sort of uh, relating to other people, you know, in response to the question, you know, tell me about yourself. And, um, but when we do that, does that ever like feel completely satisfying? I mean, to ourselves, you know, when, you know, even if we had, I don't know, a half hour with somebody and, you know, took our time and told them, you know, a good part of our life story and special events and hopes for the future and all of that. Would that, at the end of that half hour or hour or afternoon, I mean, would it feel like that person thoroughly knew who I am? Or I was able to convey what I am just completely, you know, so there was nothing left out? Or does it always feel like, mm, yeah, it's, you know, it's what I've done, it's what I've, but, you know, it doesn't really get at the core of it. Is it really what I am? So we can, it seems like we can spend a lot of time and energy in this life sort of um, exploring life, you know, sort of take this body and mind out for test drive, see what it can do, see what experiences it can have. And that's all, that's all fine as part of the joy of life to, you know, have, um, you know, just a wide variety of experiences, um, you know, with other people, with uh, events, with, um, you know, um, you know, when we're younger, maybe sports were a big thing or music, a certain talent, certain careers, um, certain interests, um, certain ideas, relationships, all of that is um, the ways that we enjoy life, the ways that we learn about life, right? So there's no, um, you know, there's no inherent problem with any, any of those things, right? 
whatever, whatever those are. Um, the difficulty comes in is when we believe any of those things will be ultimately fulfilling. That ring true at all, or where we believe that you know, if only this event happens, or this relationship happens, or this, um, you know, if I really get my head around this idea, then that will be, that'll settle it. You know, uh, I'm good for the duration. You know, if I die tomorrow, okay, that's fine. You know, does it feel like any any event, any situation, any memory? Um, has resulted in that sense of, okay, now, now life's complete. Or is it always a sense of, yeah, I've had some really, really great stuff happening, really pleasurable events, really satisfying, inspiring, um, um, maybe, you know, blissful, maybe ecstatic events happening. Um, but it, it feels like we always come back and we're always left wanting, right? Wanting more, wanting bigger, better. At least an, another, <laughs> you know, one, one, one more, maybe it'll be better, right? Whether we're talking about, um, you know, physical sensations, um, uh, you know, accomplishments, um, uh, experiences, even spiritual experiences, uh, it's uh, as inspiring, as instructive, as informative, as transformative as all of those things can be, um, there's still a sense of yes, and it's not quite enough, not quite complete. So part, part of that is um, uh, again, this isn't to say that all of those things shouldn't be experienced. They're, w they're wonderful. It's, you know, what makes life uh, exciting, fulfilling. Um, the issue is the expectation that any particular event is where, let's say, happiness will be found, right? It's found in the event rather than here. So we look for it. This event nice, yeah, wonderful, yes, and okay, next event, you know? And it can be on a grand, lifelong, you know, career kind of time frame, or it could be, you know, um, uh, you know, a really nice meal, and then, okay, and then how about dessert, you know? <laughs> you know, it can be just, and then, you know, an evening snack, and then a movie, and then a you know, and then it's like each each is good, but then there's oh we're always left wanting. Um, and if we get something that's that's really good, sometimes it can satisfy that wanting for a period of time, days even, maybe weeks. You know, y you know, you move into that house that you always wanted house of your dreams. It's great, right? Feels good. And a couple months later, it still feels good, you know. <laughs> a year later, yeah, it's got some maintenance, you know. Maybe, you know, 
so what I'd, I'd suggest is when that um, when we actually you know, if we dream about something and we say okay there's the fulfillment you know and that I don't know promotion or relationship or house or whatever um, and we finally arrive there then for a short period of time that sense of wanting isn't there because we got what we wanted right but then you know if if that if if the house was actually the source of happiness as long as we lived there we would be happy right but that's that's not how it works it it you know, whatever we have a goal, we reach the goal, then there's, um, feels really good. Nothing wrong with feeling good, but then uh, if we believe that the source is there and the object or the experience, um, then we're left chasing the next thing, right? And there's no end to it. That's if we get what we want. If we don't get what we want, then of course that's frustrating, and that's we're still left wanting, right? So that um, that whole movement, you know, movement into the future, movement into more, better, and the, the same can be true with uh, you know even spiritual experiences, even like really powerful spiritual experiences. They can feel, uh, you know, just extraordinary and I mean they can transform the way we think about things um, they can be really instructive they can be really blissful um, and they can also be really addictive right because the sense is that's where it's at having that experience um, and maybe the next one will be even better right so what's true for a house or car is also true for just experiences, including spiritual experiences, you know, mind-blowing bliss. But spiritual experiences are in some ways like every other experience, and that is that they, they come and they go. But then there's this special s spiritual experience that we can call enlightenment or awakening. Now, that'll be permanent, that one. Right? That's, the, that's the belief that a particular experience will resolve everything. But the, be the belief is that it's in the experience itself. The experience even what you could call a an awakening to what we truly are um, as transformative as that is the actual manifestations of that experience the the bliss the physical um, you know awe the the um, you know the um, you know spiritual sort of download, all of that is still an experience. All of that will pass. All of that will, um, will settle down. And if we take the fireworks for the actual awakeness, we will miss that opportunity because it's not an experience. Um, 
So when we talk about a shift of identity, um, you know, we can see, um, you know, even using, you know, our mental capacity, we, we can sort of see what we're, what we're not, right? Um, you know, we can, um, I don't know. Well, I mean, we can start with easy ones. I mean, we can see that, you know, the name that we were given at birth is relatively random depending on, you know, what was in vogue at the time and, you know, what our parents' preferences were and what our last name happened to be, et cetera. So we can say, okay, that's, that's how people identify us, but, you know, if, um, you know, if I had another name just by happenstance, you know, I'd still be what I am, whatever that is. Okay, so we can see that, okay, that, that doesn't, my name doesn't truly define what I am. I don't know, even if you were a member of the royal family, you know, well, that's that name, well, that certainly would define who I am. No, not really. <laughs> and then, I mean, we could say the same um, is true for, um, you know, the country we happen to be born in. You know, does that define who we are? I mean, it certainly influences, you know, how we, how we speak, what language we speak, maybe, you know, certain... Uh, idiosyncratic things of, you know, growing up in this country. Yeah. But, I mean, does it really get at the heart of the matter? And then, you know, we could talk about, um, you know, how, how good was our education? You know, sure, it qualifies us to you know, do this job or the, maybe not that job or, um, you know, gives us, you know, income, stability, it's the, all of that's, that's great. But again, does it define what we are? So what we're talking about isn't um, a question of knowledge, the sense of, um, you know, being able to figure out what I essentially am. What the, what the brain is good at is figuring out, or what it's capable of, is figuring out what we're not. So, I mean, we can, you know, it, it's relatively easy to see that, you know, what I essentially am is not my profession, not my hobby, not my gender, not my age, not my health, not my wealth, not my, all of that. Not who we essentially are. But there is something that is alive, present, right, that we can sense into. I mean, I, I might know fundamentally that I'm not all these qualifiers, but there is a sense of, yes, but there's something here. I, I do know that I'm here, I'm alive, I'm present, now, in this moment, I may not know what that is, but I, there's something that exists here, right? I mean, that's, we're sort of getting down to the core of it. That's, that's something we can say certain, 
with some certainty. So any qualifier that comes after like I am, everything after that, every, whatever we add after that is only going to be partially true, right? I am a good person, well, most of the time, maybe not all the time. I am an um, uh, anxious person, um, maybe, but not. Does that totally define who you are? No, it's just maybe some patterning that arises every once in a while. I have a busy mind. Yeah, but not always. Not when you're sound asleep, you don't. No. You know, so any qualifier that comes after that, you know, we could say, um, I don't know, I am an engineer. Well, how about when you're brushing your teeth in the morning? Are you an engineer then? <laughs> no, it's just a, f it's a function rather than what you actually are. So we can just, you know, sort of set aside, um, you know, if we're really looking at the heart of the matter to get to what we essentially are, um, we can set aside things that are, you know, maybe true on a relative scale, but not ultimately true. You know, if we're looking for what's ultimately true, then, you know, we need to, we need to dig, dig deeper and see what's actually there. Because what's ultimately true has to be true um, regardless of circumstances. Right? So, you know, any, any qualifier, like, well, I'm a happy person, I'm a, um, you know, faithful person, I'm a decent person, what, I'm a sad person, I'm a whatever, whatever the qualifier is, that comes and goes, that will always come and go. So when we can really look to see what's essentially there, we eventually get down to this point of, well, I may not know what I am, but I do know that I exist in this moment. I'm alive. And the, the reason that we can say that with certainty is that we can't say the opposite. Right? You know, we can't say, you can't make the statement, I don't exist. Right? You'd, you'd have to exist to be able to m make that statement. <laughs> so, you, you know, you can come down to that. At least, um, you know, it's, it's still a, a concept, but it's, you know, getting to the heart of the matter at least. Um, you know, so then, then we're down to the point of, well, what, what is that? What is just that simple sense of existence? Um, if it's not all my qualifiers. So that, that's what we looked at in the guided meditation this morning. You know, we sort of went in through the doorway of perceptions, you know, using the body. Um, and the reason that I like to do that is it sort of bypasses the mind. You know, it gives the mind something to think about. Well, at least, you know, at least you're looking at sensations, okay. But the, the actual noticing the sensations can be done without mental conceptualizations. Right? So, um, and then that allows us to just 
um, relax enough to see that the awareness is already functioning, already present. So when we talk about identity, um, we can look at um, ways that we define ourselves conventionally are all subject to change. Sooner or later, all of it's subject to change, right? Sooner or later, all of it is found to be impermanent. The other thing about all of that, um, you know, ways that we conventionally identify ourselves is that it is all um, highly conditioned, conditioned, you know, from almost, well, from birth, really. Um, And conditioned in functional ways and maybe some not-so-functional ways. But it's just how this body-mind was conditioned. You know, again, is that define what we are or is it just something that happened along the way? If it just, if, if it's something that we just picked up along the way, you know, like, I don't know, like getting smallpox or something, you know, you just, or I guess that's not a good thing to get and doesn't exist anymore. But chicken pox, you know, is something that, I don't know, when I was a kid, you didn't get vaccinations. You just went to a chicken pox party and all the kids got chicken pox and that took care of that. So I don't think they do that anymore. But um, anyway, the conditioning is just something that we pick up along the way that, um, you know, because of some experience, because of things that our parents taught us, our first grade teacher taught us, um, you know, we developed a certain way of thinking about how things were, thinking about uh, concluding things about how we were, right? So, you know, one fruitful area to look at is, does any of that conditioning um, get at the heart of what we truly are? You know, one way to look at it is um, we can see when that, let's say, uh, limiting, the conditioning that limits how we would like to be in the world when that conditioning arises and we can see that, you know, that sort of limitations that it imposes on us, um, even while that's happening, is there not still awareness that notices the limitation of that conditioning? You know, so um, we can be identified with the conditioning or we can be identified with the awareness. You know, so which is more solid ground to stand on? Conditioning is something that sometimes is functioning, sometimes not. Um, Something that we picked up over the course of the lifetime. Um, You know, the conditioning that's not that functional 
you know, sort of limits our experience of how we are in the world. Um, okay, that's over here. Okay, over here we have awareness that is present. not actually subject to the conditioning at all. It's aware of the conditioning, right? It's aware of the behavior, it's aware of the habits, it's aware of, you know, self-assessment. But it's not in itself, it's not actually touched by any of that, is it? You know? I mean, we've all gone through all kinds of experiences in this lifetime, you know, pleasant, not so pleasant. And yet, here today, that awareness is still functional, isn't it? So we could ask, I mean, has that awareness in all of that, all of that turmoil, ups and downs, everything that's ever happened to us, has that awareness been tainted at all. You know, it's not to dismiss anything that's happened, but if our identification is parked in our circumstances, which are going to come and go, our storyline, you know, our opinions about ourselves, then sure. I mean, then, w then we're subject to um, peaks and valleys, right? But if, if our deepest identification is with this awareness itself, all of that happens within awareness, comes and goes, but the awareness remains. Yeah. So what we're talking about isn't when we talk about a shift of identity, that's, that's the shift that we're pointing to from being identified with our, I don't know, personality, history, um, beliefs, opinions, hopes, dreams, fears, regrets, shames, guilts, all of that. That's all in this conditioned body-mind. And if our identification is there, that gets buffeted in this lifetime by, ev well, everyday events. I mean, we all know that, right? We can be having a good day, somebody says something, then we're having a bad day, <laughs> right? If, if our identity is parked in that whole storyline, we're at, um, we're vulnerable. You know, we know that. We're vulnerable, that, and then there's sort of a underlying anxiety about life, you know, if not sometimes outright fear, you know, about, you know, how life may present itself. So in some sense, I mean, we, you know, this, this isn't a matter of, well, okay, I guess you're right. I, I guess I'll just believe that I'm awareness. Well, I, that, that's not actually helpful. What is helpful is to consider the possibility that that might be true, you know, and, and find out for yourself if that's true by really looking deeply, 
And at first it could say, well, you know, this life, everything seems, you know, real, you know, um, his body, you know, looks and feels real, you know, everybody else's bodies looks real, you know, trees look real, um, you know, solid, whereas this awareness is like a little bit flimsy, right? You know, sometimes I can sense into it, sometimes I can't quite. So it can feels like, well, it's a little elusive, you know, is that, I don't want to bet the farm on something that, that elusive. Um, on the other hand, the awareness is, when we know where to look, is always present. It's never absent. Our attention may be focused somewhere else, but, you know, it might be, you know, focused on, I don't know, a year from now taking a trip to Hawaii or someplace. You know, but that, that is still happening in the present moment. Our attention might be on that thought, but the awareness is aware of that thought. So the, the awareness is always present. So it has that going for it. You know, so here we have something that's always, always present, um, not subject to harm. Doesn't appear to age. You know, far back as we can remember, there was still a sense of, um, yeah, that's I was I was that then. In the meantime, you know our, you know entel, entire cellular structure has come and gone several times, and um, you know the storyline certainly changed, our opinions changed, all of that's come and gone, but there's been that sense of yes, but there's been something continuous there. And generally, we attribute that to memory. Well, I can remember the past, and obviously, that's the continuity. But when you really stop and try to remember the past, I don't know, you could pick a year, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and try to remember with clarity, like real clarity, not just, you know, well, as if you could play a little video clip. You know, how many events in that year can you recall? You know, if you're younger, probably more. If you're older, not so many. <laughs> and if you think back, you know, a few decades, I mean, you remember w w where you lived and what you were doing sort of generally, but what you were doing any specific day you know, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, you don't. I mean, even a week ago, I mean, you knew you, you, you know, you know that you must have brushed your teeth that day, right? But can you remember the actual clear experience of doing it? So that sense of memory gives the appearance of, well, you know, that's what's continuous is my storyline. And we, we believe that we can remember it, but when we go to actually trying to do that, it's, we realize it's a snapshot here, a little video there, and you know, months in between, or weeks or days, or you know, even trying to remember back to yesterday. It's not like we have a 
can replay the video of the whole day. So the, the reason that I bring that up is that we attribute that sense of continuity to memory, but I'd suggest that it's this um, ever-present sense of awareness that was there for the whole show. The memory may or may not be there, not, not actually all that relevant, but the awareness was there for everything was there through thick and thin. It didn't run away from the worst thing that's ever happened. It was present for it all. So when we really start to look more closely at it, it feels like this awareness, it really has in some ways much more solidity than, you know, sort of the ever-changing, impermanent arisings day to day, you know, within our experience within these bodies. Um, you know, that's all subject to change, all subject to impermanence. And a lot of times in spirituality, impermanence is presented as like a negative thing. You know, like impermanence somehow causes suffering. And um, I, I don't see it that way at all. Impermanence is actually what um, makes life enjoyable, right? It, it may not always be fun, but it's it's uh, um, you know it's a multi-dimensional show that is always happening, right? We never know what's going to happen next. It's always changing, um, and that's the aliveness of it. I mean, even um, I mean you could say um, you know a seed from that locust tree over there. Uh, if it was impermanent, I mean, if it was permanent, it would never sprout, right? It requires the impermanence of, um, well, all all life forms to um, actually evolve and grow and um, interact. I mean, so impermanence is not an unfortunate part of life. It is it is what life is. It is a ne necessary part of life. So that. That's not what causes the suffering. The, the, the suffering from things changing is believing that our identity is parked in um, an idea about ourselves that is um, uh, uh, subject to, you know, the comings and goings of life's events. Right? If our identity is parked there, it's going to get hurt sometimes. It's going to have highs sometimes, um, and uh, and be because we know that, we know that's how you know the exterior world seems to work. There's a certain anxiousness about it. A certain anxiousness about living um, this life. You know, knowing that I might get hurt. You know. Um, you know, I might be in love and my lover leaves me, you know. It happens, right? I might, um, you know, have um, the job of my dream and my boss doesn't like me, you know. It's, it can, you know, things happen. So if our identity is parked in the storyline in, um, you know, um, 
you know, where it's subject to feeling good when things go our way, subject to, you know, feeling down when things don't. We're always going to be subject to that. But if we can just sense into this um, awareness that is already present, um, that show still goes on. And, but it's much more enjoyable when we're not um, ultimately affected by those outside conditions. Right? We can still enjoy the show. We actually can enjoy it much more. You know, so we're, we're not in any way dismissing the existence of the world. We're just realizing, yes, that's, that's there, can be experienced. Uh, we can um, actually be free to enjoy that, knowing that the awareness itself is uh, is and will remain. So as I said before, it doesn't do us any good to just believe that, right? Because any belief is um, well, any belief is just a concept, right? Um, you know, we only call it a belief because we don't really know. So this isn't about believing anything. It's about uh, the po suggesting that there is a possibility, a very real possibility of experiencing what we actually are that is um, ultimately satisfying, ultimately fulfilling, and free to live this life without fear. That's the possibility. But we don't, we don't get there just by believing that. That's of very limited value. It, it is useful to um, um, consider the possibility that that might be true. And if it's possible, is it worth the effort to discover that for ourselves? Because the, the effort has to be made by ourselves. It, nobody else can do it for you. Um, it's not like... Um, you know, you can sort of piece together the right set of beliefs and that will be ultimately fulfilling. But it is possible to discover that as a, as what we actually are already, right? So it's not like, you know, we're attaining something that we're not. You know, it's not like somebody's saying, well, you're, you know, a, um, I don't know, you're a, um, horse now, but, you know, if you just became a giraffe, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not asking something impossible. You know, it's not asking some sort of quantum leap into something that we're not now. It's, it's uh, simply a recognition of what we are already. So, um, the other very surprising thing about it is that it um, doesn't have anything to do with merit. Right? It's not something that you earn, right? By being especially good, you know, being, you know, uh, doing some, you know, sacrifice, 
being, you know, something of, um, you know, great service. All of that's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful if you're actually doing it to be of service. It's not quite as wonderful as if you're doing it, I don't know, to get into heaven, for example. Because then you're just bargaining, right? But if you're doing just out of um, just a movement of compassion, you know, just seeing a need and acting on it, that comes from a totally different place. But it is, it is possible to discover for ourselves um, beyond any concept or belief just by direct investigation. And the, that path leads us, um, you know, from identification with all these, um, you know, ways we identify ourselves that may be relatively true, but seeing through that is just not being uh, of ultimate importance. And then getting down to this point that we talked about earlier, just this sense of I am, I exist, I'm here now. Um, just that simple sense of beingness prior to any concept about anything. So it's not dependent on anything. It's not dependent on belief. It's not dependent on um, worthiness. It's not dependent on intelligence. It's not dependent on knowledge. It's not dependent on um, good deeds. Um, it's what we are, right? So it even sounds silly to say, what would I have to do to become what I already am? What would you do? Can you see that any attempt to be, <laughs> to make yourself worthy of it would be a denial of it? Right? Any, any attempt to say, well, Okay, to, to be worthy, let's say worthy, uh, to be worthy of what I am, I have to do this. Or I have to believe that. Any, any, any movement away from what we essentially are right now in this moment is a movement away from truth. Right? And the mind says, nah. Sounds good, but couldn't possibly be like that. Mind, <laughs> mind will argue with that one. Couldn't be that easy, right? Not like this, right? Not with these flaws, habits, personality quirks, history, past deeds, done or undone. Couldn't be that. But if we're just checking in to see what, whatever it is that we are has to be true, like has to be true, like always. You couldn't be what you essentially are one moment and 
what what universe would you be in the next moment if you weren't always essentially what you already are you know so it can't it can't be something that comes and goes right. so that that eliminates a lot from possibilities sort of narrows the search right i mean it can narrow the search as well one thing that it feel that i can feel like directly is that what doesn't come and go is this sense of me here now and it's not subject to circumstances or ideas or anything but there's a sense of n- 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 a deep knowing that yeah i exist i'm a, I, right just that simple sense and that that staying with that simple sense of just this i am whatever that even means three letters two words just simple is um one of the cleanest doorways to go through and we can take note that any attempt to conceptualize it is pulls us away from that it's not a it's not a point of conceptualization it's it you know that that just interface right there in that sense of i am is still it can still be based in the mind you know that sense of i am but it's it's really the not the idea of it but the feeling of it just sensing into that um frequently over an extended period <laughs> so there's a uh, probably one of the most brilliant minds of the um in the spiritual tradition anyway uh, in the last century was um indian man um named nisargadatta and uh, that was his entire practice um and afterwards he he sort of said with a certain amount of pride you know <laughs> um and it only took me four years but staying with that just that precise sense of just beingness like you know what is that just that sense of curiosity um just to dwell there and to come back to it often often during the day you know not even sort of waiting till you have 20 minutes to sit down to meditate but you know like walking to the bathroom or to your car or you know drinking a cup of tea and many many opportunities during the day just to come back to that well I'm still here well coming back to just that sense of presence right and then we might get lost in thought you know activity just fine awareness is still doesn't have a problem with that you know it's not offended <laughs> but then this the amazing thing is we come back to that sense of oh okay i'm still here what brought you back can't say can you you're lost and then you're come back oh wow i'm still i'm here 
pretty amazing, actually. What brings you back? You, you can do it just in when you're meditating, you know, meditating, meditating. Okay, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, wow, I've been gone for 10 minutes. <laughs> Where was I? You know, but there's something that brought you back that um, it's like being awakened from a dream, right? Some, something causes you to, to wake, wake up back into that, just that sense of presence and being. So the, the more we come back to that, the more we see it, it's, it's actually always present. We just have to stop and, and notice it. And then we can go about our day, there's no problem. But, you know, as often as we come back to it, more and more we just get the sense of it, it is always present. Sometimes the attention is there, sometimes it's back here. Um, the awareness actually doesn't have a problem at all with that flow back and forth. You know, it's not like it's saying, no, no, you might look at me, you know, I'm over here. Forget about all of that. It's not doing that. It's just um, present for all of it. All right. So um, we can just allow it, allow it uh, to move like that. If we're not insisting that it be, that this is spiritual and that isn't, if we're not insisting that, there's actually no division. It's, all, it's actually, at the end of the day, it's all one thing, you know, so to say this is spiritual, you know, when I'm acting like this, when my awareness is expanded and content-free, and over here it's like, oh, I'm having this experience, I'm having this thought, that's not spiritual, okay? That distinction is false. That, uh, that distinction can only happen in the mind, nowhere else. All right. So, um, you, and we can just watch that, that movement, you know, sometimes it, that awareness is expanded, sometimes it's focused. We're not interfering with that, it actually, um, there's an intelligence there. It, it, will, it will know when to move, act, talk, and it'll know when to relax. You know, the mind, the mind doesn't know when to relax. It'll just, it'll talk when it has something to say and it'll talk internally when, even if there's nothing to say, it just sort of has a, like a flywheel on it, just keeps moving of its own momentum. So if we, you know, again, you know, believing that, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll believe that what I am is awareness isn't helpful. It's, it's, it's considering the possibility of um, that being our true nature. And that, that shifts our identity. We, we may have a glimpse of that, but the actual shift of identity may take a little time little time, like maybe a couple of years, or it may happen all at once since there's no predicting these things. <laughs> and no, no two people will actually have the same exact experience. It'll unfold as it um, most appropriate.
the shift of identity is really the shift of, um, you know, I'm, I'm basically a person with this history and storyline that occasionally has, um, you know, meditates or occasionally has a spiritual experience, and then I'm back to being who I've always been. That's, that's the normal state of affairs. So it's like the, the awakeness to our fundamental presence is a place that we visit and then we come back to this. Um, the, shift, the shift of awareness feels like um, that what I essentially am is awareness, spirit you could say, having a human experience. But the identity is as um, a formless presence. It's actually the freedom, right? sounds like a little ethereal, but it's actually what we're doing, all doing already. We just believe that what's living this life is, you know, these conditioned thoughts about ourselves. So it's just when, it, it, when people talk about, um, you know, giving up their ego, I mean, it sounds scary, right? Like, ah, I'm not sure that's a good idea. But what, what's actually being let go of is a misperception. That, that's it. We believe something that wasn't true, and at some point we see that it's not true, and then it just, once we see it's not true, it just dr drops away. We don't have to try to make it go away if we can clearly see it's untrue. Right? Like if out in our garden we have uh, black garden hoses that are, you know, we leave in the grass out there. And um, we also have black snakes out there occasionally, which are about the same diameter and also occasionally in the grass. And every once in a while you say, oh, you know. <laughs> and then you look more closely, oh, it's just a garden hose. <laughs> but at that point you don't have to try to shoo the snake away, right? You just, you've, you've seen it's the garden hose. You don't have to try really hard to believe that it's not a snake. You've just looked closely and sure enough, it's a garden hose. Okay. End of story. So it's like that with ego. You just, you just, it's not like you have to try real hard to get rid of it. You just see that it was never true. It's never, by ego, I just mean that our identity is parked in our storyline, in our beliefs about what we are. You know, all our history and beliefs, opinions, ideas, hopes, fears, etc. That we're not denying that the, that presence, but it's uh, what we're saying is n all of that comes and goes. All of that's subject to impermanence. And there's something that notices all of that, that is always present. That um, can be found through our own direct looking to be what we actually are. And when that is discovered for ourselves, not as an idea, but as a sort of a full body recognition of it, um, it is immensely liberating. It's liberating because we realize that it can't actually be hurt.
free, right? Free to experience everything. We may have glimpses of that before it settles in as um, an abiding knowing of the truth of that. We may glimpse it and oh, okay, I got it, got it. Then the, the mind comes in and says, yeah, you're so sure, you know. Is that really it? The mind is immensely clever and it doesn't like not to be in charge. So any, any realization of freedom beyond the domain of mind, the mind is like, a, you know, the gravitational force, you know, on the rocket ship. And it's like eh, pulling it back down into its domain, like sustained control. So it'll use whatever, you know, yes, but. You know, it'll use doubt, it'll use, um, you know, well, my experience wasn't like the experience I read in so-and-so's book, or can I really trust it, you know? Can it really be that easy? Can it really be that free? Or the worst one is, oh, I, 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 I see it, you know, it's so clear, I just want to hold on to it. You get the fallacy there, right? Who wants to hold on to it? If it's what I essentially am, how hard do I have to hold on to it? You know, again, it's the ego trying to maintain control. You know, oh, that's a great experience. You know, I'm going to control it. I'm going to use it somehow. I'm going to hang on to it. And the, the, the thing is, you really, really want to hang on to it. That's what it feels like. You're like, oh man, this is, feels so good, I never want to let this go. <laughs> and what is needed is to be willing to let that go too. Can't go anywhere. If it's what you are, where's it going to go? So the, the experience may come and go, right? But what we essentially are is present for every experience. So even the experience of awakening, if we're hanging on to the experience, that'll fade. What's aware of the experience? When it arises, it'll be there. When it subsides, it'll be there. When you're brushing your teeth the next morning, it'll still be there. It's not dependent on conditions. It's not, it's surprisingly, it's not even, uh, the awakeness itself is actually not a high experience. 
not like some elevated, blissed out, permanent state. I mean, I know that's been advertised like that, but that's not what it is. May, it may feel like that for a while, you know, maybe for months, but it'll eventually, um, it's not that it subsides, but it's, it's recognized, it's bliss as compared to what it felt like before. But when, when we get used to that, it feels more like peace. It's not, it's not an elevated state, it's like a deep peace. In, um, in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about peace beyond all understanding. Right? And that's, that's what that is. It's peace that's not dependent on conditions, not dependent on circumstances. Right? Right? The peace that's dependent on circumstances, well, everybody understands that, right? Feels good, I'm at peace, right? But peace beyond all understanding is like peace that doesn't, doesn't even make sense. It's just peace. It's not dependent on anything. It's not subject to coming and going of anything. It's just peace. Things still arise. Right? We still experience it, but they're experienced from a place of peace, deep peace. Doesn't mean that joy doesn't arise, doesn't mean that sadness doesn't arise, but they arise within a, a deeper field of peace. Just another sort of aspect of um, being grounded in this awareness. And from that deep state of peace, there's nothing actually that's needed to improve it, enhance it, right? From that space then, what we may choose to do um, when we realize that uh, that awareness that's present here is also fully present in everyone else already, whether most people don't realize that, but you know, once you can see it in yourself, you can see it in everyone. So from that space um, of recognition of presence, awareness here, presence, awareness everywhere actually, um, there's no longer a sense of other, right? And that's actually the foundation for compassion. Because you're not doing it to help the other person, you're not doing it from a place of superiority, you're not doing a place of I know better, you're just doing it as a, just because that's what's moving. <laughs>